Good afternoon. Today I have the lovely Paul Finch with me, who I met at Harrogate at the weekend. Hiya, Paul. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Donna. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Paul Finch. I'm an ex-copper, ex-newspaper reporter. I turned to writing in the late 90s, um, working for The Bill, uh, the, the popular TV uh, cop show of that era. Um, as the bill came to its natural end, my agent moved me into other things and asked me to start writing crime novels. Uh, I started with HarperCollins. I wrote 10 books for HarperCollins. I'm now, I've now just sent, just had my second book with Orion accepted. Uh, I've, I've, I've done okay. I've had a couple of bestsellers in there. Uh, one of my, one of them made the Sunday Times top 10. There are series in there and there are standalone thrillers. I'd like to think they're all they're all characterized by gritty realism to reflect my experience as an actual copper and bone crunching action to reflect my interest in um, the harder edge of the uh, of the genre. <laughs> uh, did you always want to be a writer? Well, I mean, uh, my dad was a writer, but I as a child drifted a little bit. I want, one time I wanted to be an archaeologist. Apparently the first thing I ever wanted to be was a dwarf or a knight. That was when <laughs> I was about three. Um, I'm not quite sure where that came from, probably from watching children's television. Um, but I wanted, uh, for many years, I wanted to be an archaeologist, which strange, you know, something to do with dinosaurs, I imagine. Um, I don't really set out to be a writer when I was sort of approaching the end of my education, I was seriously looking at jobs. The police started to appeal to me more and more and more. Um, so I joined, the, I joined the cops, I joined the Greater Manchester Police. Um, towards the end of the 80s, uh, I was starting to feel it wasn't quite right for me. Uh, I mean, I, it just wasn't really the, the thing I wanted to do. Um, I was getting, a, uh, I was certainly getting a, a yearning to write. I had already started submitting spec scripts to the bill under a different name. I didn't get in straight away because I didn't know anything about writing. Um, but then I went into journalism. Um, I worked on a number of titles, finally finished on the, I went through mostly the north of England, um, finally finished on the Manchester Indian News. Um, by then I was submitting scripts to the bill and they were being made. So when I left Manchester Union News in around 98, I had another career already in place to write for television. So uh, I, I wouldn't say I bumbled my way into it, but it was a meandering route. It wasn't a straight route. And um, as I say, I also wrote for Doctor Who, and I've written quite a few, I've got a couple of horror films that have been made, lots of short stories, uh, about 300 in total, perhaps a bit more that have been published over the years. You know, here and in the States. Um, but really, my bread and butter is probably is crime thriller writing. Um, come, it's my natural home. And as I say, once I started writing the crime novels, uh, I didn't really look back. You know, that's my meat and drink. And how different is it writing um, scripts to journalist articles to fiction? <laughs> Well, I mean, they're both disciplined. Um, you know, journalism, obviously, it's all about the deadline. Um, it's also 
about getting something interesting onto the page in a relatively short space, a few column inches in a short period of time. Um, you've also got to get your information and you've got to make sure it's right or you've got to get your newspaper in trouble. Um, fiction is less uh, demanding on those fronts because obviously it's fiction. There are rules you have to abide by all the same. I mean, you, you, uh, a professional writer is, write, is also writing to a deadline and is also writing to a word length. Um, you know, if your publisher is looking for about 110,000 words, there's no point turning in 400,000 words. It's not going to get published. You're going to have to do the cutting job of all time. And um, so it's a, the, the disciplines are similar. Obviously, you have more time to write a book. Um, and it goes, it grows through a similarly um, robust editing process as do newspaper articles. Um, they have more to go at, so there's more they can fault you for. Um, but the book is your book. Um, you know, it's your imagination that's been transposed onto the page. So you probably have quite a bit, you have a bit more freedom in that regard. Um, who's been your favourite character to write so far? Interesting. Um, I I think probably, though I've written a range of characters, uh, probably Heck, that's Detective Sergeant Mark Heckenberg's, is in my, that's a seven book series. Hopefully the eighth will be out soon. Um, that I wrote with HarperCollins. Um, it's a character, like a lot of our, you know, crime thriller characters, is a lot of personal baggage. Um, but he works for the National Crime Group. Though he's from the North, he's been uh, exiled into London. Um, he works for the National Crime Group, which is a kind of a British FBI. It's a combination of the Kidnap Squad, the Organised Crime Division and the Serial Crimes Unit. And so it deals with very heavy crime and it has a remit to cover all the police forces of England and Wales. Now, I created that um, didn't exist at the time. Then the National Crime Agency formed of two, three years down the line. So I always say they stole the idea from me. <laughs> <laughs> but what the opportunity this gives us is that uh, Heck isn't Heck is obviously his nickname um, from his from Heckenberg, his surname. He isn't restricted to any particular area. So each book is in a different part of the country. So we go from Cornwall to the northeast to the Midlands to London to the northwest, to even up into Scotland, even though um, English cops don't really have a great deal of jurisdiction north of the wall, um, they do have some jurisdiction, so we can get away with that as well. Um, but also, uh, I think the the heart of the Hex stories is his relationship with Gemma, his boss. They start off as detective constables together in London, working at Bethnal Green Nick, and Gemma was a high flyer, and heck, less so. Uh, primarily because he, you know, he was uh, he, he was a tricky character who who would stop at nothing to bring the villains in, and of course that would sometimes get him in trouble. Gemma was a cleaner cut character. Gemma became his girlfriend, but as she began to get promoted, he didn't like that. They fell out, um, and he regrets it bitterly especially as she's now his boss. She's the detective superintendent in charge of the serial crimes unit. So you can imagine we have a real uh, fire and water relationship going on. 
I mean, these two are mad on each other, mad, but they can't touch each other. So um, it it comes out in other ways. I, I get a lot of fan mail about that. Um, and uh, it's great to see that dynamic working as well as it does. It's certainly the heart of the stories. Makes them a lot more emotional to write. Do you prefer writing your series or do you prefer writing the standalones? Well, they, they're all different challenges. I mean, the, the series, uh, there's an old phrase, you know, it writes itself. Well, nothing writes itself. But I guess what it means is some things are easier to write than others simply because the characters are so well formed by them that they just speak for themselves in your mind. You know them very well. You know them inside out. You know exactly what they'll do and what they won't do. You don't have to. But, of course, with a standalone thriller, you have to create that with a brand-new character, and you have to create it quickly. So you could argue there's a bit more work involved in a standalone in, that, in terms of character development. Um, so if you like a challenge, that's the way to go. My personal... Because uh, I read, I read as well as write, you know, as so many of us do. My personal view is that um, I prefer to read a standalone because even though um, you might have a very successful series which you've not read at all, and you decide to can approach it, and um, where do you start? Do you start with book one, which was published twenty years ago, or do you start with book fifteen? where you've already missed a lot, you know, and you, it might be that the author might, by that stage, have, have come to form the assumption that everyone reading knows his characters already, so he doesn't have to give backstory. Um, so it's a lot less physically, it's a lot less mentally demanding to pick up a book that is specifically written with completely new characters, you know, for people who are completely unfamiliar with. So on the basis that I, I personally enjoy writing, reading um, reading standalones, uh, I enjoy writing them. I mean, I get a lot of people, I've got, I've got, I seem to have quite a lot of anxious fans out there. I get, because I've been with Orion, I've written two standalones for Orion. I've got a lot of anxious fans saying, well, what's happening to Heck? What's happening to Lucy Claiborne? That's the other series I've written for. I wrote I'll come on. So we don't need to worry. They'll, they're still there. It's just that at the moment, I'm doing a couple of standalones. I'm not going to, the others haven't ended. Um, but the standalones are, I mean, there's also, you could also, if you want to be, if you want to be, shall we say, a bit cynical, if you want to be a bit materialistic, a breakout book is not going to come halfway through a series. By a breakout book, I mean a big slamming box office exploding bestseller is not going to come at volume seven in a series. It's more likely to be an, a, a standalone. Um, so there's that, you've always got to bear that in mind as well that the, the standalones are the ones that are more likely to be optioned for film and TV the ones that are more likely to get big reviews in the broadsheets so looking at it completely cynically <laughs> you, you ignore standalones at your peril <laughs> even though you may enjoy writing the other characters more um, what's been your favourite scene to write and what's been the most difficult? Right. Um, well, I mean, I when I first started, um, I didn't have a problem with research because I'm an ex-copper. But obviously time moves on. 
and um, police protocols change and the law changes. So you have to, I don't believe, we're not in the business of writing police textbooks. Um, but you, you have to get the basics right. So I quite liked the fact that in my new one, Never Seen Again, my main character is a journalist. So he's not bound by police procedures. Um, so I, I enjoyed that a lot because, because you know, research, while it's uh, a lot easier than it used to be, when I was um, writing for the bill, you had to go to the library to look stuff up. Uh, you know, you literally had to drive into town, park, find a parking space and go to the library. Uh, now it's all at your fingertips. Um, but it's still a pain and it's still time consuming. Um, so writing about non-police characters in a thriller environment is also exciting because they haven't got the police back up that your police characters have. Um, so I enjoy that a lot. I do think that um, I do think that I like with the heck books, the Lucy books are a little bit more grounded in reality. That Lucy is a and this is probably why this is the one of mine that's attracted most interest from television. Um, is a kind of blue collar low-level detective in Manchester, a CID officer rather than a specialist unit, and deals with a lot of um, kind of day-to-day -day type violent and domestic crime. There are, all, there are, you know, there are big villains and murders, lots of murders. There's always lots of murders in my books. I mean, the first Lucy book, which got into Sunday Times top 10, she was put in, I, I sold it on a three-word pitch, Jill the Ripper. And it was a, a serial killing a prostitute who was sexually murdering a male clients. I thought we'd turn the whole thing on its head. Um, and Lucy's role is she has to go onto the streets as a prostitute to try and catch one of the other prostitutes, whichever one it is. Um, so that they do have some outlandish stuff. But what I like about the Heck books, as opposed to the Lucy books and as opposed to the freestanding books, is I really, really go to town on the villains. I find um, with the heck books, the heck books are much more action-led and crazier things. Uh, so we have villains that are out of the James Bond draw or out of the, uh, the even the Batman draw. We have really, I, don't, I mean, I don't mean we have super villains in costumes, but we have really outlandish villains. Um, so we've had, for example, uh, someone who was kidnapping criminals and made, making them fight to the death in gladiatorial arenas. It, it was like a kind of, um, you know, a, a, a vigilante uh, thing. We've had, um, we had a calendar killer who was committing human sacrifice on different days of the year. That's a kind of folk horror story. Uh, the first Eck book, he was in pursuit of a group called the Nice Guys Club, which was a rape club. Um, I would probably struggle to sell that idea now, actually. Um, that was 10 years ago. That was a syndicate who uh, would kidnap to order, victims to order for high-paying clients and provide a, a private area for the client to sexually attack, rape, abuse, whatever they want, the victim. And then the gang would dispose of the victim afterwards and all the evidence. The nasty idea. Uh, and um, as I say, I think you might struggle to sell that now, but that was the first of them. So... The heck books are a sort of uh, a, a level above in terms of the sort of horrific nature of the crimes and the insanity of the criminals. And you can't pretend you don't enjoy writing that. 
I mean, that's you can really let it. You can really let your imagination rip with those. <laughs> Imagine um, there's nothing that you can write that is any worse than what you've seen in your career, anyway. No, that's that's of course true. Um, I've put lots of things in. I put lots of things into the bill. Um, I gave my dad ideas because my dad wrote for Heartbeat. Um, I mean, Heartbeat was a very gentle TV police series, but uh, there are things happened, you know, funny incidents. And um, I mean, there are certain areas I won't go to in fiction. Um, for example, child murder. Uh, well, there might be peripheral reference to it, but there's, you know, I consider that what I'm basically doing is providing entertainment, dark adult entertainment. But with that kind of thing, with the abuse and murder of children, I mean, there's just no light in that darkness. I mean, I've seen, I've seen it for real, and um, I can't, I could never bring myself to write about that. That's not to say that some writers couldn't do it very well to do a very responsible book of fiction, work of fiction on that subject, but that's not for me. I would never go there. Um, I, I think a lot of my, um, a lot of the crimes in my books, um, ironically, uh, this has come about with the exception of the first book. Um, most of the victims are men in my books, really. I think that's, Primarily because there's always a lot of organised crime in there and gang murders. And I mean, you know, I mean, the, the ladies aren't safe. <laughs> they can get caught up in the crossfire easily and obviously get targeted. But the majority of the violence is directed against men in my books. And maybe that's because, again, in my, in my career, the majority of the violence I saw was against men. It was usually street violence. Um, but... Uh, it somehow it seems easier to write about that. Um, so there are some things I wouldn't talk, I wouldn't talk about. Um, not in fiction, not in fiction. I mean, I'd happily give serious interviews about it, but not to, not to, not when it comes to entertaining people. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you were able to team up any, um, either of your lead detectives with any other. Uh, fictional characters. Who would you like to team them up with? Oh, you mean other people's characters? Yeah. Well, it would be interesting to put Heck in the same book as Harry Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> they really wouldn't get on. I'll tell you now, because they're both spiky <laughs> characters. I think I think um, I think Heck is less rude than Harry Bosch. Harry Bosch is a really rude guy, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> a really hard bit guy. Heck's a bit younger. <laughs> Bosch is a war veteran, a Vietnam war veteran. Heck isn't. Um, but they would they would share that they share a similar strong arm approach to dealing with criminals. So that would be a lot of fun. I mean, what I'm actually doing is I'm I'm toying around with the idea, and got a bit of a scoop here, Donna. I'm toying with the idea of a book which Heck and Lucy come together in the same book. So I mean, all my characters are all my characters occupy the same universe. So um, they they come in and out of each other's books. They don't. So, so for example, um, the lead detective in One Eye Open was a detective sergeant Linda Hagen with the Essex Road Policing Division. She comes into the next one, 
never seen again, but she's not the main character. She's a, she's a background character. So they're all in the same universe. Um, I have the, the fictional, I must make that quite clear, the fictional organised crime division is the go-to police unit in my books for police corruption. <laughs> for, villainous, for villainous coppers. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not a real unit. It's, in, it's invented for that purpose. Uh, and that comes into all, all the books that they're in the background in all the books because they're up to everything. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't mind that. I mean, it doesn't quite answer your question, not as much as the Harry Bosch one did. Um, that would be that would be great though, but uh, uh, I mean it's a pipe dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Stranger things have happened, yeah. I'm sure. I've never I've never actually met Michael Conley. I've met some other uh, I've met big overseas writers. Don Winslow is a really smashing guy. Dion Mayer. Um, they would be. I mean, Dion Mayer does this great South African series. That'd have been interesting. Um, but anyway, there we are. <laughs> uh, do you put any secret jokes or messages in your books that only a few people understand? No, I don't think so. I mean, I know, I know some do. I mean, I have seen my own name come up in books sometimes, but I know the author. Um, not really. I mean, it's. Uh, I have put. I like to put jokes in there, but they're not necessarily uh, jokes that you know are private. Um, I mean, I. I, we do occasionally, this is not quite the same thing, we do occasionally run competitions and um, the winners get to appear in the next book. Um, we had a, in fact, the last one worked out very well. And yeah, ironically, it was probably about three books ago, that's why I can't quite remember the lady's name. We ran one and um, we gave her the, the winner the option of being one of the villains or one of the detectives. She wanted to be one of the detectives. And as I wrote and rewrote the book, that character became a really, a really important character. So, it's not a, I mean, it was a key character who could even come into other books. So, uh, so she did quite well there, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I've won um, a competition um, to be a named character, um, and I'm a sex mad politician. Oh, right, right, well, yeah. I mean, some, some, I mean, you know. I'm, Far be it from me to inquire further, but all, all I would say is, of course, some people, um, some authors give you the option of it really being you, don't they? <laughs> you tell them that you give them the, your biography, so uh, we better go no, go no further with that. <laughs> I, I refrain to comment, is yeah, what I would say. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even, um, uh, two people um, nominated me, actually. I didn't even apply to be part of it, so yeah, <laughs> I oh, thought I think... Leave everyone else to have a go, but no, I won, so that was quite nice. So yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> nice. Yeah, and as I say, the one I did, the the lady ended up catching one of the main villains in it, so uh, she was chuffed to bits when she uh, read the book. Yeah. She had no idea she was going to be one of the main characters, and neither did I when I started. <laughs> and if you were a character in a book, would you be a hero or a villain? Hmm. No, really, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think once you get past, you know, um, once you get past 35, or so I'm told, <laughs> I think once you get past 35, you lose all um, fanciful notions about yourself. Uh, you know, you, you, you realise that you're gradually, you're ageing, you're, you're just one of the crowd, basically, and we're all getting old together and we're, 
we have our bits and pieces that we do every day and we're not really leading very heroic lives. Um, I mean, of course, I'm speaking for myself. I can't speak for everyone there. Um, and the idea of perhaps being a villain would become more attractive. You know, a fictional villain is more attractive. Villains, I mean, a good, you know, the art of the villain, of villain writing is, of course, much discussed. I mean, um, the fiction has produced some wonderful villains. Uh, I mean, the key characters who, uh, you know, have just uh, are the heart, the dark heart of the novel. You know, I mean, I, I think that you know, it, it, it's that we work on our villains as much as we work on our heroes, really. And we bring them back. You know, our best villains come back for another go, don't they? Usually about three books <laughs> down the line. So um, you know, we must like them. <laughs> Um, so if you were to be a villain, how would you kill your victims? Oh, right. Hmm. I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be, I mean, there's, there's a, there, there was a kind of, a few years ago, there was a kind of trend towards more and more and more sadistic murders. And I, I think that, um, I quite like the idea. I, I mean, I, I don't want to just inflict pain for the sake of it. I would want to be far more insane. So I, I loved them. Um, I remember seeing a, a horror film years ago, which I think it got slammed. I actually quite liked it, called House of Wax, where these two demented twins were encasing people and turning people into wax dummies, into wax tableau. They killed everybody in the town eventually, and all the houses were full of wax dummies. That would, I'd do that. I'd create a town full of people encased in wax making them look like they were doing the gardens and that kind of <laughs> playing the organ in church. You know what I mean? That would be an interesting exercise, wouldn't it? I don't know how I'd pull it off, <laughs> but uh, it'd be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah. Um, Malcolm um, Hollandrake interviewed me and asked how I would kill someone, and I said I'd stab them 100 times. And I'm pretty sure he still hasn't quite got over that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, 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 that would betray a certain degree of anger at <laughs> times, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he was quite shocked because I am very placid generally. And he was, I think he was surprised by the speed of the answer and the specific 100 times. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would, and would, the, uh, would the number have specific meaning for you? Or is it just that would you could get to 100 before you got too tired to carry on? <laughs> yeah, I think that would probably just about do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you'd be fairly sure of it that the job was done at the end of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, bless him. Well, he asked a question, so if he didn't so want the answer. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. to lie to him, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bless him. <laughs> He hasn't mentioned it since, actually, but I think no. he was a bit horrified because yeah, I don't think... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he thought I was going to say something like poison or... But I was like, nah, 100 times. <laughs> the poison tends to be... Poison tends to be the kind of preferred female serial killer weapon, doesn't it? Uh, at least history seems to suggest that. Um, but I mean, it's not necessarily any easier way to go either. I mean, some of the stories are horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd just be the most violent female serial killer, just stabs all their victims a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, no, there's not been many. There's not been many have done that. No. Yeah, maybe. Seems a bit messy actually, but yeah, we'll worry about that another time. 
There are a few ways that aren't messy. There are a few ways that aren't messy, trust me. <laughs> I know, I've studied forensics as well, so yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, do you have lots of author friends? Yeah, I like to think so. Mm. Um, I mean, when I started, uh, it was a solitary profession. Um, you know, when I, when I when I went full time in 1998, uh, there was no internet. I mean, there wasn't even there were no laptops. There was no, I mean, mobile phones were big clunky brick-sized things that yuppies used. Um, so we even had to send our scripts to the bill, um, you know, by the post. Um, so you never, you didn't hear anything for two or three days just because of that. Um, you know, and the fact is that to save on print, the same script would get bounced backwards and forwards and get progressively more dog-eared and more covered in tip act, tip X and reading. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a side, uh, like I'm... I'm, I'm diverting from the question I'm not what I was going to go on to say was of course you don't really have any contact you don't have any contact with anyone uh, all that has changed dramatically um, I mean in the in the age of uh, the internet I and mean, now we're at a now we're, we've moved on really into the age of social media haven't we I mean I have I have Facebook and Twitter open all day um, I'm constantly bantering with other writers um, it's I mean, it actually can be a distraction. I mean, some people turn it off uh, because it's just too much of a distraction. But no, I think, you know, I was going to events like Harrogate, for example, um, the Bristol Crime Fest, which is another good one, to the Fantasy Con, which is horror and fantasy, it's usually in the autumn, uh, to World Horror, World uh, Bloody Scotland, all these kind of great um, thriller events. You just can't help but meet lots and lots of people. And, um, you know, we, there are many smaller events around the country. Um, the Noir in the Bar was the big thing before COVID, of course, uh, where lots of us would get together and we'd read from our latest piece of work and we'd drink a lot of beer and we'd have a good time. Um, they are also, I mean, I, you know, your agents introduce you to people. Or if you're not happy with your publisher and you know some, you know someone that happens to work for a publisher who you would be interested in working for, you go and ask them, what's she like? What's he like? Are they approachable? Do you think they'd take me on? You know, and that's how you get to talk. That's how you get told people. So, yeah, I, I probably have a lot of writer mates now. In fact, probably a lot more writer mates than anything else um, <laughs> in any other field. Uh, most of my Police mates are all retired and moved to other parts of the country, and all journalist mates the same. Um, yeah, the writing mates are where it's at at the moment. <laughs> I dread to think what goes on in your private conversations. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not, um, you know, I mean, usually people are just moaning. About, I've had that actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone, no one's ever happy. You know, they're not happy with the latest deal, they're not happy with. The, the, the latest cover, they're not happy with the publicity machine. doesn't matter. I mean, even if it was absolutely brilliant, they're still never happy. You know, because if you, you you walk up to someone in the beer tent at Arrogate and say, everything's absolutely fine. Nothing is wrong with my career at all. That's a conversation ender, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it's nothing else to add, really. So, 
<laughs> so you say you say things aren't that good, even if they are. <laughs> um, looking back at your writing career, is there one standout moment for you? What's been your best moment? <laughs> I think um, the best moment was of several moments over several weeks, all relating to the same project. Um, when the bill had finished, the bill finished around 2006, I think. I left in 2003. I assumed that, you know, the world would be my oyster, the TV world would be my oyster, but it wasn't. TV was changing very much. And, um, of course, with the arrival of, I mean, they hadn't arrived at the time, but the satellite TV had arrived, satellite TV had arrived and it wasn't long before other platforms would arrive as well. So... British TV writers were suddenly in competition with the writers of the whole world and options became few and far between. And I was a bit disillusioned anyway with TV. Um, and I probably had a, around 2007, would it be 2007, maybe 2000? No, it's actually, it's actually, yeah, probably around 2008, 2007, 2008. I, the reason I remember is because my dad had just died and, um, I hadn't really earned anything for a year. I hadn't written any books at that stage. Um, my wife's financial advisor to the police, her business was crashing because we'd just gone through the big financial collapse. And um, I was mooching, we quite depressed and it was a terrible day in January. I remember the sleet billowing across the car park at Tesco. She was shopping and I was just gravitated towards the stationary area. And I saw the Doctor Who magazine and it said, um, there was a, on the cover, it said, Call Goes Out for Missing Scripts. That interested me because my dad had written a, a script for Colin Baker in 1984 called Leviathan, which didn't get made because Colin, if I don't know how familiar you are with Doctor Who, but Colin Baker left the show rather abruptly, the TV show rather abruptly, and that season got cancelled. And I thought, well, I, I've seen that script lying around somewhere. Um maybe I could sell it to them. Uh, what, it was, what it was was Big Finish. It was a, a, very, uh, a very professional audio drama company who were producing full cast audios of all the missing, all the Doctor Who scripts that never got made. And um, they've gone on now to do thousands um, of original Doctor Who's with the full casts of the, who are left, the casts who are left. Um, but this was, you know, as I say, this was uh, over 10 years ago. Um, so there are a few left. I... And I got in touch with the Big Finish and I said, I've got this script. Would you like, if I can, you can have it if I can do it, if I can adapt it for audio from TV. And I got a letter, very nice notepad from a chap called um, David Richardson, one of the producers, who I don't really quite believed I had it. And um, he said if I could see a, an electronic copy of it before we make a decision. And of course, that meant I then had to find it. And I'd seen it. I knew, I knew it was around somewhere. I went down to my mum's little house and we looked through the covers and we found Softly Softly and Zed Cars and Coronation Street and all these old TV shows from the 60s and 70s that my dad had written for. But we couldn't find Doctor Who anywhere. And after about two or three days, I was in despair. I said, I'm just going to have to ring him up and tell him I can't find it. Apologise for wasting his time. And I went and... Uh, sat on a stool in my office which was a spare bedroom upstairs 
and my eyes were continually drawn to this buff folder on the bottom shelf covered in dust. And I kind of thought, I don't know what's in that folder. So I had a look, and it was Doctor Who Leviathan. I could not believe it. It was there. And I was about a half a minute away from telling them I couldn't find it. And um, I shouted, and my wife came running up. She shouted so loud, she came running up thinking I had an accident or something. <laughs> anyway, I sent it, sent them some scanned pages, which they realised I was for real. They saw, they saw my back catalogue of Bill episodes and decided they could trust me. They contracted me to write it. It was done and dusted, but and four weeks later, I was down at the studio at Labrook Grove while they were recording it. And my dad had known Colin Baker from the early 70s when he'd done uh, The Brothers. So Colin Baker was a marvellous host, and we went for a drink afterwards. I went for a drink afterwards with Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant in, uh, around Labrook Grove in London. And uh, I had said to people, that's the best day at work I've ever had. That was just, it all happened so quickly. And of course, I went from being um, a struggling unemployed writer to being a Doctor Who writer as well in that, because I started getting other commissions to do Doctor Who books and dramas after that. And uh, then, the, then the crime novels followed on. So that was probably a great moment. I mean, it also gave me a posthumous credit with my dad. You know, I've never had a shared credit with my dad, so even though he wasn't <laughs> there to see it. Um, so that was kind of nice as well. So that was probably the best. That was a career high, personal high point. Yeah. Oh, that's really, I love that. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. It's, a bit, I mean, it's not crime related, but um, it was It was such a, and it just changed. The, uh, in my career, it was the turning of the tide. Everything seemed to go well after that, if you know what I mean. Everything seemed to fall into place. And what's your biggest dream? What do you want to, what's left to achieve? You've achieved quite oh, a lot already. Well, I, I, I want to write more bestsellers. Um, I want heck to get on TV. Lucy's closer because the Lucy books are under option. But then COVID struck, so that's been delayed by that whole process, which is a lengthy process anyway, has been delayed by a year. Uh, they're only now talking about starting it up again. I want heck on television. I want, uh, the, I want the standalones made into films. I mean, I'm not sated. I've not had enough. I mean, I want to keep, you know, we all want to write our opus, our magnum opus. We've all got a really great book inside us, or so we're told, uh, rather than just a, a piece of exciting commercial fiction. So, yeah, there's loads I want to achieve yet. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I have other interests. I mean, I like historical fiction. I love horror. I mean, horror is not the biggest seller these days. Um, it doesn't even come close to crime and thriller fiction, but I, I like it. You know, I'd love to have a crack at a horror novel at some point for someone. So there's lots to do, lots of boxes to tick. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you spend a day with? Oh, well, probably Charles Dickens, simply because um, I'm related to him. Um, on my dad's side, there's a sort of, the, the family tree has now been produced to prove it about, uh, what it be, about eight generations ago, uh, we were, like, see, my, my grandma's, oh, I can't remember. My granddad's mum was Dickens. That was her maiden name. And it was through, along that route, it was traced by other members of the family. And yes, it, it, it led to the great man himself. And um, I, uh, so it'll be great to have, to have a chat with him um, and 
said I'm tr trying to make the case that I'm keeping the family tradition going. <laughs> not not with the same <laughs> flair, I should say, but, uh, <laughs> but you know. Well, that would be a fun. That would be a fun day. Um, and you must have met loads of big name authors. Is there one that you would still fanboy over if you saw them? Well, I mean, I, always, I do with all of them because the um, what can you say apart from you just love their books? I mean, there are some who I'm very friendly with, Simon Koenig, Peter James, who are just mates. Um, but there are because I've met them so many times and we chat and we talk online and everything. There are others, uh, as I say, I Don Winslow is a great big name. I was introduced to him, I was interested to Dion Mayer, uh, Harlan Coben, um, Lee Child, these really mega sized names, Val McDermott, people like that. Um, who it's a bit harder to talk to because all you can really think of is how much you like their books. But you, you do your best. I mean, the strange thing is, I mean, it's, it's always nice if they ask, and do you write yourself? And then you kind of tell them, then you can talk a little bit. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You come across a major, a major international best-selling author and you're talking about your books, not theirs. But the reality is they talk about theirs all the time, don't they? So, you know, so some of them are pretty good. Others, I mean, I got into a, what I, the best way I found to talk to Lee Child is to ask him about Tom Cruise. Because <laughs> he's got loads of Tom Cruise stories. Because he's met him loads of times and he likes him a lot. And and Tom leads by all the sounds of it a really crazy life, yeah, a really high risk lifestyle. And um, leads a mine of information for that kind of thing. So we'll talk to you for hours about that. Um, is there anyone I would totally fanboy over and not be able to speak? I'd be so dumbstruck. Um, well, Stephen King was a big name author. I was reading, I've read most of my life. Um, though I've met his son, Joe, who's a very nice guy, uh, Joe Hill. Um, I mean, Joe looks like a 25-year-old version of Stephen King. You know, he looks, except that he's not 25 anymore, he's about 40, mm. but he's about 25 when I met him. Um, and he was just starting out. Very nice fella. Um, and by all accounts, his dad is. But it would be hard to not, not to be awestruck, you know, by suddenly meeting Stephen King. I mean, I have to say, I, I have met one or two other authors who I didn't care to meet again, who were at, well, I wouldn't say offhand, were a little bit superior. Um, none, of the, none of the ones I've named, because all the ones I've named are like top draw people. But um, a couple who I won't bother naming, who I thought were a bit up themselves. Um, so you've always got that on your mind, haven't you? You know, you, you finally pluck up the courage to speak to someone and you find they're up themselves. God. You know, what do you do then? I mean, you, because you're interviewing other people, you must have that, you must get that occasion yourself. You know, they, they, they're kind of hard work. Yeah. Not so far, thankfully. Touch oh, that's with. good. That's good. Well, I mean, there's no, there's very few, I have to say, there are very few of us who don't value publicity. But, you know, I mean, it's, uh, this is the way people learn about you, isn't it? You know? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so, what do you like to do when you're not writing? <laughs> Well, um, more or less um, all of it was negated by COVID. Um, I like travelling. I like going to the theatre. I like going to the movies. You know, me and my wife, we, we don't have many vices. Uh, going to a, rest, a nice restaurant every couple of weeks is probably one of them. Uh, but we, love, we loved our London theatre trips. Uh, Cass really likes the big shows. 
and the and the sort of more literary smaller productions. Uh, I love I love films, um, and above all, we love sailing. And um, all of those have, <laughs> have been off the table in the last sixteen months. So I've literally been sitting at home. You know, I mean, we all have, haven't we? We've all more or less been sitting at home. Um, but I cannot wait to get on the ocean wave again. I cannot wait to be able to choose what shows we're going to watch in the new theatre season. I mean, we're creeping back towards that now, I think. Um, but we've not got any overseas travel booked into the year in September, so wow. that, long, that long wait goes on, you know. Let's hope it happens. Yeah. That's, that's what I like to do. And actually, when I am on holiday, I find I can read like nobody's business. I mean, it, 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 this may seem like an exaggeration, but if we go away for two weeks, I could read 12 novels comfortably in that time. Uh, and that is just because I like sitting on the sitting in the sun reading or sitting under a parasol reading if it's too hot. Um, it somehow helps if there's an aqua blue sea in front of me or, you know, <laughs> or palm trees or a Mediterranean scrubland, something like that. Anything better than Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really compare, does it? <laughs> no, not really. Um, if I was to ask your darling wife and those closest to you what your most annoying habit was, what would they say? Um... Off the top of my head, probably putting dishes in the sink instead of into the dishwasher. That's the thing I get pulled up for again and again. And strangely <laughs> enough, I can never, I always forget to do it. I nearly always forget to do it. I go into the kitchen and put something in the sink instead of into the dishwasher. And then I get berated for it. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that probably is my most annoying habit. <laughs> Well, they How all have you not learn from being told off so much? Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, I should do, really. I like to... I, I always try and explain that I'm, I'm thinking of the next book, you know. I've got my head in the clouds. But they all have annoying habits, too. So, you know, it's not just me. I'm not, I won't go into those. It's probably safest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't recommend. No. Um, if you're able to travel to any period in history, either forward or back, where would you like to go? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'd like to, uh, I, I just want, I'd be spoiled for choice, basically. Um, I always loved the Middle Ages. Um, the height, you know, the, the, the medieval age. I, I, you'd have to go with gritted teeth, though, because, you, you know, you would, you would see horrors that would defy imagining, I, I think. So, um and that would just be in everyday life, you know. Um, so uh, I think I would like to, I think I'd, I don't know is the honest answer because as I've got older, I've thought, I've, I've begun to realise that the, you know, the reality would probably be quite grim. Um, I mean, I've, I say to people who, when we have conversations, for example, with my son or my daughter, uh, who are now in their 20s, I say, you know, if you were to go back in time to the 1970s, you'd probably think it quite grim compared to the world you've grown up in, you know. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, I, I, that's, the, that's the period I like reading about the most. But I read, I mean, in, when it comes to historical fiction, but I read adventure action fiction. So it's all about the battles, you know, and the, and the, and the heroism. And uh, so 
in reality, it wouldn't be like that. It would be horrible. So, <laughs> so, so I probably it's probably best if I just stay here and, and, and romanticise about it rather than actually go. <laughs> You're not interested in going forwards then and finding out what we do with this crazy planet? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, it's like being, I mean, you know, Unless, uh, what are the chances that you're on the verge of a golden age? They're not. They're not there are no. There's no chance, is there? So, what's the point? It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> I think I'd rather let what's coming come. You know. Yeah. Uh, what's your funniest or most embarrassing story? I'd, I'd probably have to think about that. Really. Um, Funniest story. We once put um, we once took a a probationer into a post mortem, and he was really, really, really nervous. And um, but they have to see them, you know. New coppers have to see. So we took him in, and left him on his own in the room with the body under the sheet. But of course, it wasn't a body; it was another copper hiding under the sheet. And um, after he'd left, he'd been standing there a minute. The copper jumped up at him, <laughs> and he's—I think he almost—he nearly had a heart attack. I'll tell you, he was—it was—you heard him screaming from staggering outside. So that was—that's a fond—that's a fond memory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, given time, I could probably come up. I could probably remember a lot of the fun, of funny things. Um, embarrassing. Well, you know, we've all embarrassed ourselves, haven't we? And uh, we all regret things we've done and said. I, I'm not even going to go there if you don't mind. <laughs> I to get most of mine. You'd be surprised at what I've heard. A lot uh, involved with nakedness and alcohol. So you, you oh, I was a student. At, I was a, I was a student at one time as well. Um, I don't remember actually doing that, but uh, alcohol, yeah, can, alcohol can be involved in many of these occasions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I wouldn't know anything about that no, uh, ever. No. You're good as gold, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> and that's the story I'm sticking to. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. will learn nothing else. No. So are you working on anything at the moment and what's coming next for you? Yeah, Um I've written two books during lockdown. Um, never, uh, never seen again is the next big standalone thriller from Orion. That's out in March. That's just been accepted. Uh, I've just completed the line edits and they've officially accepted the book, which is always a relief. I've been working on it for six months. Um, I've written the next heck book, um, which is tentatively titled Rogue Angel. That might change. Um, the last heck book ended on a cliffhanger two years ago, which a lot of my regular readers didn't appreciate. So if there ever any of them are looking at this, I can assure them we pick up exactly where we left off. And it, it's a it's a hundred mile an hour of that one, all the way from page one right to the end. So I think they'll like that one. Um, I also edit the Terratale series. I edit um, an anthology series of folk horror stories um original fiction lots of good writers i move around the country so the first one was territories of the lake district since then we've done 
Ted Hazel London, Ted Hazel Wales, the Cotswolds, Cornwall, East Anglia. Uh, I've just finished Terra Tales of the Scottish Lowlands. Um, again, we get some great writers. Peter James has written for us. Um, in this one, we've got Mike Craven and um, Graham Smith, uh, Susie Holiday. So it's not just horror. Lots of dark, heavyweight crime in there. Dark is the thing. Dark, dark. It's scary stuff. There's no cult, nothing cosy in these. So um, I'm happy to. I'm looking forward to doing more of those. I do one a year. Um, I edit really. I, I sometimes write a story for a bit short, but uh, usually I edit. Um, so I suppose um, what comes next is my, the next book of my contract for Iranian. So um, while they are currently editing, never, um, never seen again. I can't really have the conversation with them. Um, I have sold an option for a film. On a, I've had a couple of films made of my stuff. Not big, massive budget films. Um, but one of my war stories has just been optioned for film development. I can't say any more about that. Um, it's uh, kind of embargoed, so I can't give you any details on that. Um, it's from a few years ago. It's an interesting story. That's uh, That may or may not get made into a movie. We'll have to see. Uh, War Wolf, which was uh, an a film adaptation of a book of mine, Stronghold, from years ago, it's been on in pre well, it's been in development hell for years. That may come back um, now that COVID's gone or going. The Lucy <laughs> Claiborne series, yeah, the Lucy Claiborne series. Um, I'd like that to happen. That, that of all my stuff, that's the closest to TV. Um, that would be nice. Uh, we've got some good actors interested. Again, I have to, uh, it's classified at the moment, but that would be a good one. Um, so there's lots potentially happening. We just have to wait and see. Well, sounds very exciting. Well, <coughs> you believe it when you see it, don't you? But I mean, it's nice to have something. Nice to have something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think you may be relieved to know I don't have any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything I haven't no, asked. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's, uh, it's Friday, it's Friday, isn't it? It's nearly beer o'clock, so... Uh, <laughs> Not for me. I'll be up before five o'clock, so I have to wait until Sunday. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you, have a, you can have a drink on Sunday, at least, so... Uh, I will, yes. I'll need it by then, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Donuts. So is that it, then? Well, unless you would like to remind everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can buy your books from. All oh, right, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the books appear whenever they come out. They're in the supermarkets or Waterstones. Um, they're still in Waterstones. Obviously, they come into the, they're usually in the supermarkets for a couple of months after they've been published. Well, my last one was published last year, so you won't find them in the supermarkets at the moment, but you will find them in, uh, in Waterstones. And of course, you'll find them all online. They're all on Amazon and Kobo and this, that, and the other. So, usual places. If you want more info, do a search online for my blog. You'll find this do Paul Finch author. You'll find it. Um, I update my blog twice um, twice a month. Um, there's a link to my website on there. The blog is probably the slightly more active page because that's uh, like weekly updates. Um, anything you want to know about me is on there. And if what you want to know is not on there, you can drop me a line. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Okay, all right. Thanks very much, Donna.